Hello there, it's Clint. We have Mitch in the booth today. Um, right now, this is the time of year when you look outside and it looks sunny. It looks nice. And it's really not, though. Um, you can barely go outside. Uh, it's pretty much below zero the last five days. We have a polar vortex. Everything is wonderful. So what I normally like to do during this time is that I, I look and I tell my wife, hey, you know, we should really start planting some stuff from seed and then get ready for when uh, spring starts and we can plant that stuff in the ground, which basically means I get seeds, I poorly plant them and then turn it all over to my wife who hopefully keeps them alive until spring. So two years ago, this actually worked out fairly well this past year. We got some sort of like in the soil or whatever, there was some sort of little bug things or something and it just pretty much killed off everything. And I, I pretty much think that's completely my fault. So, so, so you are, are somehow leaving out what type of seeds are planting. You're talking seeds. You're talking very high level here. I mean, are, are you talking cannabis vegetables? No. <laughs> we don't. We don't. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? We're planting. No, we, we do not grow. We don't grow cannabis in our house. Um, no, I would say it's just flowers, like just nice okay. flowers that we'd plant later in the, um, you know, early spring, I guess, you know, when the first frost is not there anymore and you hope that your little seedlings have grown up. Um, we've tried, we've tried food before from seed and I just, it's just easier just to do the, just buy the, you know, little plastic things with the stuff already going. Oh, but, sure. but I would say flowers one year, they flourished. They were awesome. But I mean, Courtney just had to like, she, it was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I like the idea. I'm just not yeah. very good at it. Yeah. And I was asking for clarity for the audience, of course. Yeah. But. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a couple little ones at home and one of them, Maddox is not even a year. So he's a little too young to notice this, but Avery has had fun trying to plant seeds with our nanny Petra and also my wife Kaylee. And, and that hasn't been all that successful either. The transition from like when you put it in the plastic bag, throw it next to the window, get the sunlight, kind of the greenhouse effect, right? Kind of works like pretty easy to throw enough seeds in there that they'll start to sprout. But then the transition to the outdoors is the difficult part. And we, tr difficult. we tried that last summer and I don't know if rabbits or squirrels or whatever insert rodent here got to them because we also didn't really protect them well at all, mm -hmm. but yeah, we, for we us, tried and failed. For us, <laughs> these things were so small when we put them in the ground, actually, um, and it took a while for it because we started them a little too late, and Courtney like took them out, and they were tiny, and I, my fingers are just not equipped to put these little tiny plants in into the soil and have them survive, so she stopped stopped me right away when I was doing it. And she's like, just stop. And then she, she started to do it. And then it, it, she got them all in there and then it, they just took off. Like they were awesome. But and I like how whew. we're talking about like the greenhouse effect and things. Cause that mentally makes me feel a little warmer. Cause it's kind of cold in your office too. So we haven't had any clients really in the office in a long time due to COVID and whatnot. So Clint's office is now the podcast room, which is also formally kind of a meeting and conference room. And it is not warm in here. No, I've got a heater in the corner that we used, usually used in the uh, client room. And I think we're going to have to get a permanent heater in here too anyways, just because. So little known fact about our office is when we built it, um, Nate, Nate like sub 
he basically was our general contractor. And so as we're putting everything in, we just did what we normally do. And that is, you know, you put insulation in and things like that. Well, what happened in our office is they said, you can't put insulation um, in the, in the walls. And Nate's like, why not? Because that's what you do with these things. And they said, we've been doing that for like a hundred years. Well, apparently, but you know what they said to us? Nope. And they're like, you know what that could cause? Condensation in the windows. And if you have condensation in the windows and something goes wrong, well, it's going to be on you, Nate. And so it's like, and so Nate comes to me and talks to me about it. I'm like, I don't know. So we put in all this insulation that we had to rip all the way out. And so we basically just burnt a bunch of money in the fireplace for no apparent reason. I still don't know why that couldn't happen. We've had differing opinions on that as far as like when we talk to other people, they're like, yeah, why would they do that? But I don't know. That's just what we did. So, you know, I'm not going to go against somebody that has a lot more experience in this area than I, but whatever. I don't know. It's cold in here as a result of that. It's good. It's good. But I am excited to be here because it's been, man, has it been two months since I've been on a podcast? I've been, so. I've been somewhat active in the, the blog world and I was on our, you know, chip, chipped in on the investment guide and everything. So if you haven't checked that out, check that out. It's on our website in the blog section. But I have not been present in the Walkner Condon audio space as far as our marketing material goes in quite a while. That's true. So I'm glad to be back. Should we talk about something? Yeah, let's do it. What do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> I would say about a year ago, yeah. um, you know, you and John got on a podcast and you were breaking down kind of the effects of what potentially could happen with COVID and coronavirus. And so if we think about it, we're not that far away from the first cases in Wisconsin. You know, some, I remember just, I always see it on my feed or whatever, that somebody walked into UW Health and got tested and, you know, for the first time they were diagnosed with COVID. And since then we're, we're near a near, near a year. And, you know, I th- would think it's safe to say that what's happened in the markets up to this point, almost no one could have predicted. No. And, and interestingly enough, I listened to that podcast recently because because of that, because it was about a year ago and we were in a marketing meeting not too long ago and it thought about that podcast because at that time, well, well for example, there there's still a lot of unknowns at the time that John and I recorded that. So when I was listening to it, I realized I don't think one time we actually said COVID. We just said this coronavirus, the coronavirus, you know, and we were talking about like how Corona beer sales were struggling because everyone thought that there was some link from Corona beer to this coronavirus. And then as all of us became ep- epidemiologists overnight on our social media feeds, you know, we realized that, oh, a coronavirus itself isn't all that new. Like there are many coronaviruses. So anyways, it was kind of interesting going back to that even as far as what John and I, how we delivered it, you know, and, and we, we delivered it in a way that, that we said, Hey, this is a real thing. People, are dying and more, many more have died, you know, in the year since. Um, but we wanted to just stick to what do we know from history as far as looking back, what markets have done in response to some, the, some of the initial shock, maybe for some pandemics or epidemics in some cases. And then also what does it look like 12 months ish after the fact? And here we are, we're about 12 months and most people are probably pretty happy with their investment accounts and their 401ks. I mean, the markets, if assuming you stayed invested through the volatility that ended or that started at the the end of February 2020, we had the big dip in March. There was the trough around March 23, I think it was, 
depending on the indice probably you're looking at, but um, it's up from there and by just about every measure. <laughs> yeah. And there's a number of different reasons for that. Right. I mean, but uh, you know, I think that some people, you know, when, when you think about how the markets react to certain things and it's, it's uncertainty is definitely one thing that drives the market lower. Uh, and that was a, a very uncertain event. And I think things are more certain now. And then in addition to uncertainty in the markets, you know, policy response does have a big impact on, you know, how the markets react. And what we saw, I believe, is in 2008, when we had the big downturn, that was caused by a completely different circumstance. But there was a lot of, um, there's some stimulus, you know, and people were saying, wow, that stimulus is just huge. You know, we don't need that. We can't pay for it. And in this case, the stimulus measures have absolutely dwarfed anything that happened during the financial crisis by any sort of valuation metrics at all. It's just been a massive, massive policy response. And, you know, to that end, I think we see one thing is, is very uh, apparent and certain now that massive policy responses from the government are stimulative to stocks at least. Um, and I, I think that, that the response by the, the federal government um, in this situation uh, was unprecedented and was a large reason at this point why the economy and the markets have kind of held together. That CARES Act, I mean, you know, it was pretty bipartisan legislation as well. It was, in the end, I think we'll look at that CARES Act as being one of the big factors and probably pieces of legislation that we rely on to learn from in the future, in future, whether it's pandemics or financial crisis situations. Yeah. And one thing that you mentioned there, Clint, was just uncertainty, how uncertainty can rattle the markets a little bit. And one question it seems like that I've, I've got from whether it's just friends or, or clients or prospective clients is just why does it seem like the economy still hasn't recovered and all these small businesses are struggling, especially in the service and like restaurant industry and things like that. Or if, you know, if you're operating a movie theater or something like that, right, there's definitely places where, where it has been much more rosy in the past than what it is now. And, and there's struggle around this, this concept of why does the economy, the current economy not necessarily reflect the market. And I always have to remind people that remember the market is forward thinking. So to Clint's point of uncertainty, when uncertainty first hit in early 2020, where there's uncertainty about the virus, there's uncertainty about its economic effects, there's uncertainty on how deadly it is, how contagious it is. Like, we just didn't know all those things. We knew it was moving. We knew it was spreading because of global, the ease of global travel at the time, right? These things can just take off, as we now know very clearly. But at that time, when the market started to go crazy, it was because of the uncertainty. At that time, the economic data was outstanding. I mean, we were talking at, what, 3% unemployment rate. And, you know, it was a very sound, robust economy. But the second uncertainty hits, the market says, hold on, this might have future economic ramifications. So it's trying to see what's going to happen in the future. So what I remind people is economic data is looking backwards. Right? We don't know that we're in a recession until six months. We have six months of, of data looking back, whereas the market is looking forward. So there's still a little disconnect at times, right? Because one's looking back, one's looking forward. So that's something that came up so much over this last year and why sometimes there's not always a match. Yeah, and I think there's another thing too in here, and that is that 
when we're looking at a lot of these places, a lot of it with small businesses, small businesses that are not in stock exchanges, you know, even the small caps out there. I mean, Walkner Conan is not like not even a micro cap compared to other <laughs> companies. I mean, you got to think about the size and scale. I mean, we are mom and pop, you know, and some of these other RAs that are huge, we are dwarfed and we're a, you know, we're a nice business, but we're not on the exchange. A lot of those aren't even on exchanges because they're just not big enough to be on an exchange and they might not want to be publicly traded, but those that do, uh, you know, those are a lot of those companies, those micro caps and those tiny businesses, uh, you know, are struggling. A lot of the large businesses have held up quite well because they were able to stay open in many cases. And, you know, in many cases people are saying, well, is that fair? And I think that's a, that's a reasonable question to ask, you know, yeah. why, why was Walmart able to stay open and Home Depot and, you know, all these different places and, and these small businesses essentially would have to close, um, due to population, uh, you know, uh, the amount of people, you know, that you can have in your store and things like that. I mean, the staffing that you have to have or can't have. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's really, really difficult on those, uh, tiny businesses. And it's a lot easier for those large businesses because they have deep pockets as well. I think part of it too is a lot of these large businesses, sure, they're incorporated in one state, let's say, but then they have presence, a presence in every state, right? And, and maybe worldwide too, in your example of Walmart. I mean, Walmart's definitely all over the United States and some, but you, you compare that and there wasn't really a, a, um, a policy in place that would hamper them because one, they were considered essential because they have groceries and everything, mm -hmm. right? In that example. But then if you go to the more local level, whether it's state or county, states had their own response, right? So in certain states, that would really, really stop a small business, right? If they are operating only in that state and that's their only source of revenue and based on that state's or county's, you know, policies or emergency order or whatever it is, right? That could just completely dry up any business, any revenue. And I'm actually in the back of my mind thinking of, of a very specific example. My parents are really good friends with a business owner in Michigan that owns a bowling alley. And in Michigan, they flat out could not operate. And they still have a lot of rules and things in places where even as they reopened a little softly, as far as, you know, you can open up to X percent of capacity, you know, based on fire code and whatever. But then they also said, but you can't do concessions. Well, concessions is a huge part of their daily operations and wow. revenues. Like, okay, people are going to come here, but then what am I going to sell them? That's where they make their money. So, you know, and, and that's, that's something where he has to, well, he, he has been abiding by the, the local rules, but at some point these business, these uh, business owners are making decisions of, okay, I can either follow the rules and just dry up and basically my business is dead or, right, there's the alternative of, well, we consider that a gray area. <laughs> How are we going to let people in, still try to do it COVID friendly, but we've seen some of that too. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say any names of anything like that, but there are tough business decisions that have to be made at the local level where they say, if we're going to keep this thing alive and my family's going to, be able to, you know, stay in the situation that we're in, we got to make a decision, 
right? Are we going to follow the the state or county order to a T or are we going to, you know, try to do it safely some other way? And that's where I think the CARES Act came in a lot and the PPP round two and things like that has been, have been helpful. I think in propping up a lot of these businesses, but a lot of these businesses will be forever changed or, um, you know, unfortunately a lot of these businesses will be shuttered. But back to the example with the markets, um, you know, a lot of the larger businesses were able to make it through this. Uh, and, you know, a great example of this. Yeah, and then and then some. And a lot of businesses, too, tech-related, have, have done very, very well for themselves. And a lot of businesses have been able to pivot to that work-from-home uh, sort of situation. And, you know, I just think about how many clients we talk to that have the ability to work from home. Mm-hmm. And then the, the clients that have not. And there's way more that have the ability than have not. Now, we have a sample size that is not like the general population, right? You know, I would say that we're, we're more, um, you know, our clientele just is a little higher net worth, a little higher um, education. Uh, they work in more service-oriented jobs uh, versus like uh, manufacturer jobs that you have to show up to um, on a physical campus or a physical in physical means. So, you know, we, we have the luxury of being able to do that. Uh, and so those, a lot of those people have thrived in this environment. Uh, they haven't had to travel anywhere. They, they've been able to stay home and, you know, if they didn't have a lot of childcare responsibilities, were able to do their job. Um, and in some cases do it even better. So, uh, you know, there are always some lemonade that we can make from, uh, some of these lemons that we were given during the COVID era. And I think that that is reflected in some of those stock prices and it did accelerate, uh, technological advancements as well. I mean, we've seen a lot of different things that have, have to have been developed because of uh, COVID. For example, if you had a restaurant and you did not have any sort of um, online ordering, and you'd be amazed at how many small businesses do not have online ordering capabilities. Well, they do now if they're still open. So, you know, a great example of that, we just ordered um, some sandwiches. You know, great uh, restaurant, Pizza Bruta down the down the down the square, you used to have to call in your, your orders. It wasn't as online friendly. Now, uh, online all over the place, you can pull up, you know, they'll bring you the stuff if you want to do it, or you just walk in and it's a really quick transaction. Um, so, you know, all of that, uh, how about online, you know, or, um, contactless payments? That's so funny you say that because I was, I was just waiting to, to chime in on that because it seemed like the only place I could really go and just pay with my phone was at Whole Foods. Over a year ago. And now all of a sudden, fast forward to now, and there are many more places that have the, yep, take out your phone, you scan it, it does your face ID, and then face ID says, not recognized because I'm wearing a mask, and then I have to type in my code, and I'm, you know, I'm still frustrated with that. However, it is contactless payment, and I've been waiting for just only to carry my phone around, basically, for all forms of payment, right? But now, it's kind of nice. There's a lot more places that are accepting that. By the way, I I did that. I went naked because I left my wallet. You know, so I was like, oh, yeah. oh no, I'm like totally naked. I got to go out. It's got to be contactless payment everywhere I go. Yeah. 100% it, nice. that I went out. I went to four places Ooh. and I hit 100%. I didn't specifically go to places that I knew because I had to go like, what was it? Vanilla bean. Have you ever been to vanilla bean? I've never heard of it. Yeah. What is this? Okay. So it's on Odana. Yeah. It's like a cake shop sort of thing. So, you know, if we wanted... Courtney is the baker in her family and, uh, we wanted to put, um, she wanted heart. She was making sugar cookies and she wanted the, the heart shapes or whatever. This is for Valentine's, the sugar Day, I'm Valentine's day, yeah. obviously. And so, yeah, so I went into vanilla bean and I was like, this is the type of place that never would have contactless payments. And sure enough, walk in, I'm like, do you have this? She's like, I sure do. So yeah, 
Yeah. The only thing with the cord wasn't very long. So I had to like reach over the counter and do it, but I still had to do it. The one thing I'm still confused about is like McDonald's. Like when you go there, like I know oh, they drive the thing. Or, yeah. Can you, I, I see that it says you can think. do it, but I don't know how you actually do it. I mean, cause McDonald's is one of those that, that has always prioritized the automation yeah. and efficiency of making fast food. Right. So I would think that their process would be pretty nice by now, but I haven't been to a McDonald's. In you're, you're a very fit guy. A little That's bit. So. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know, but What's your go-to fast food? Culver's. No, oh, Culver's all the way, huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. not like it's any more healthy, but it's oh, just no. better. <laughs> I think it's actually much worse, but... Probably. I mean, there's a lot more butter, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and, but Culver's is good. But when it comes to fast casual, I'll say just Chipotle. Yeah. Yeah, all day. I get, I get that, like, so... I get it fairly frequently, so it's kind of like, yeah. I never... I don't look forward to it anymore. <laughs> You know, it's I just kind of like, okay. It's, oh, it's okay. come on. Come on. We have, this might be a foreshadow to a future podcast. Clint and I have had office debates on Chipotle versus Poncheros, and we all know the, the right answer on which one is better, but maybe that's the teaser to this future podcast. I'm starting to come around to you. All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. So I got a question, changing yeah. topics a little bit, but also back to the original topic. So I just pulled up S&P 500 here. All right, so right now, let's see. We closed on February 16 at 39.33, we'll call it. So 39.33, which is very close to an all-time high because it was down to, I believe, on Friday it closed at, at an all-time high. Yep. But either way, 39.33, we'll say very, very close to an all-time high. Clint Walkner, do you have a guess on where the S&P 500 was on March 23, 2020? Okay. I'm going with um, 1950. 2238. It's pretty good. And I'm just on my quick chart here, and I'm pretty sure that looks like the the low. Did it ever go below 2000? No, I guess not. Okay. Well, you made me second guess. <laughs> I just got. I, just got I, I didn't know. Google that was a chart out guess. Right here. <laughs> I like the whole thing. People ask me where the S and P is. I'm like, I don't follow the S and P. I follow the Dow. Yeah. You know, that's the Dow is always the number that's in my head. It's yeah. always been the one that I've followed. I've followed. I think that I've always um, done. I've been an S and P guy. I know. I think it's but, a younger thing. But you know, if if you you guys all follow SPY because you guys were ETFs. You were always into ETFs. Yeah. You know, from the start, I you know we were mutual funds, so it's always the Dow. I don't know. True. Because we didn't track the indexes. We were all when I first began, I was you know it was all active management. We were all like thought that active management was the way to go. <laughs> we don't don't believe that anymore. But okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's interesting point though because from a virus perspective, we always hear about. Back in 19, right? How was COVID in 2019, 2020? How does that compare to 1918 Spanish flu, right? You hear that so much. And it's interesting because from a market's perspective, S&P 500 wasn't around back then. So I, I can't compare it to then, but the Dow Jones was. So yeah. you could actually do a Dow Jones comparison from now or, you know, 2020, 2021 timeframe and then compare that to... To 1918. That'd yeah, right. Interesting. That'd be a good one to look up. Yeah, I don't have that available. Maybe Sorry. you can write that in a blog post someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just brainstorming actively while yeah. we're chatting here. So, anywho. But, no, I thought I thought that was kind of interesting because 2200 sounds insanely low, and it sounded insanely low at the time, especially when everyone's logging at their accounts, right? And most people have more diversification, diversification than 
just the S and P, but, but that sounds insanely. No, now low. Now we're hunting 4,000 here. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And, and the bond markets have been crazy too during that time. And I think we could do a podcast just in the bond markets right now. Cause I think that's the most interesting of all the markets uh, right now, but you know, I, I don't know. Equities have just been so resilient during this time. And it just goes to show that when you try to predict something, it's almost impossible. Like the exact opposite can happen. And I think it's, you know, consensus is sometimes your worst enemy, right? You go, we're not, we're not recovering this. I remember that I, I told one of my friends, I said, the stock market's going to be up at the end of the year. And he's like, you're crazy. Now, the reason why I thought was completely incorrect. I thought that this thing was going to blow over much faster and was going to just buy itself out faster. So it was just going to be one of those things like, you know, we saw, we saw like SARS and Ebola and things like that, which, you know, some of them were more deadly, some of them were not, you know, we had H1N1. So we've had a number of different pandemics and they've all petered out in different ways. This one's been different because it's been very persistent and it's, it's fairly persistent and, somewhat deadly. And I'm not minimizing the death toll. The death toll is awful and it's big. But I mean, when you consider about how efficient a killer like Ebola was, I mean, that was like, if Ebola was like COVID-19, our stock market would probably be down like 80% right now because it would just be like, oh my God, we all have to stay in our houses. Like legitimately, we can't even go go to a grocery store. Um, you know, so this is, you know, it's not like H1N1 either where it was like, well, if you get it, it's, it's really nothing. You know, everyone, I think it was like 60% of the population got H1N1. It's crazy. So here's another fun little thing. Since we were doing the S&P 500 guess for, you know, March 23, 2020 till now, I've got another chart here that, and we'll do it quick, but some of the ones that you mentioned, it's the S&P 500 12 month percentage change from what would be considered like the peak of virus activity. And then 12 months later, and so the ones that you mentioned, what did you mention? You mentioned H1N1? H1N1. Okay. Any guesses on on the 12-month percentage change of the S&P 500 for H1N1? I'm going up 30%. 36. Okay. Now, and now part of that too, let's provide some other context too. That was in 2009, early 2009. So yeah, okay. we also know what happened in the markets then, financial crisis, right? 2008, yeah. 2009. And, you know, so it, it shot out for for other reasons as well. But what else did you mention? Did you mention SARS? I did. What's your, your guess on SARS? So this is 2003, 12 months after. I'm going bulls with everything. So I'm going, that's going to be uh, 28. Ooh, you should have, you should have said 20.8 because you would have been correct. Oh. And then you said, you said Ebola, right? Yep. So 2014, Ebola. I'm going not as much because I don't think that was as big a deal. Uh, I'm going, I'm going with twelve. Ten four. You are good at this game. Okay, well, give me another one. All right, all right. I'm gonna. <laughs> this one's tougher. All right, early oh, '80s oh, HIV you're sure you're okay. HIV AIDS. Oh wow. Yep. Uh, so, so what do you think it was then? Well, you said early '80s, right? Yes. Okay. So, so the uh, date on here says June 1981. 81. Okay. Uh, we were just out of recession during then. So uh, out of 81, I think that one, I'm going to go that one's, I'm going that one as 35. Ooh, so this one, you're way off actually. 
This is one of the few negative returns. Down 16 and a half oh. after a 12-month period. I got that wrong. Yeah. So it must have hit if, a recession there. I, if I you were bullish on any other one, so on this list, there's HIV, AIDS, pneumonic plague, SARS, avian, flu, dengue fever, H1N1, cholera, MERS. You're, if you're bullish pick on any of those, you're, you're correct, actually. But HIV, AIDS, you're down pretty big. And then measles was down slightly. So this is December 2014. 12 months after was down 0.7%. How many of those were over uh, 20% rate of return, though? Let's see. So this is a list. How many are on this list? Or kind of like what percentage of them were over 20%. All right. So we got a list of 12 here. Okay. And one, two, three, three are over 20%, but there's a, there's a 17 and a half percent in there. There's an 18% in there. There's an 18 and a half percent. So there's quite a few that are over the general market gains. Yeah. 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 Which would kind of make sense and kind of a more of a, a V shaped recovery sort of thing, you know, right right after a pandemic. Right. So. Pretty interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, I, I think it just goes to show how, you know, we always recover from these. It's just a matter of how quickly. And it seems like these events, uh, you know, we recover relatively quickly um, from a stock market downturn. Now, what I'd want to see on all those is how much down was it, you know, peak to trough, those sorts of things. So they so. don't have peak to trough. And this is, this is I'm referencing a, a first trust piece here from our good friends over there. And they do have a six-month change and then a 12-month change. So... Six month, obviously, are or I shouldn't say obviously, but mostly they're they're more muted. But even then, the six month change is positive in every single one of these cases. So 11, 11 of the twelve, eleven of the twelve. HIV AIDS was down six and a half percent after six months, and then it just continued to go down. Looks like over the following six months. There you go. So and then on average. And, and this is just a sample since 1980, right? But so average 12-month percentage change, 13.6. Above the markets. So there yes. you go. Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, invest through a pandemic is the because we never know when the pandemic is going to end, right? That's, right. I think that's a big takeaway from, you know, a lot of the people that we that invest with us. I mean, we always had the, the same conversation of we have no idea how long this thing is going to last. We have no idea how deep the recession is going to be. We have no idea at the time what the policy response was going to be. Um, we have no idea what the Fed's going to do. Um, and we have no idea how it's how many people this thing is going to affect. And as a result of all of that, this is why you have to hold through the pandemic. And that doesn't mean that you do nothing. Like, In fact, we rebalanced plenty of times over there just to check our portfolios to see if they were out of balance, ran our models a lot. There was a lot of volatility. But um, if you held, obviously, you're a happy investor at this point. And if you didn't, you're still probably wondering when and how you're going to get back in this thing. Uh, and that is the most difficult thing. The easiest thing is to press that button, flush that portfolio. And then from there, you just go, okay, now I'm going to get back in sometime. And you're <laughs> that's just as hard of a decision. Go ahead and yeah. try. Yeah. Go ahead and try. It's so hard. That's it's it's gambling to get back in. And then you know how do you do it? And we, you know it's, it's so hard. So just don't sell out. Just just if you're a long term investor, you just hold through it. Like right now, are we in a bubble? I have no idea. Maybe have, maybe maybe not. You know, first trust just came out today. Said we're not in a bubble. We're fine. Like I don't know. They don't like they're they're really smart. They they're just one economic group out there that that issues commentary and a bunch of other ones are saying we're in one and if we're in one we're in one if we're not in one we're not in one just enjoy the ride right now is what i'd say you know appreciate the fact that your stocks are up significantly and if they're down three months from now 
it's okay. If you're a long-term investor, just write it out. It's fine. It's ebbs and flows in the market. I think, uh, were you the one that told me how many times Netflix pulled back? Yes. Yeah. What chart was that? I was on a, an economic outlook call. Oh, it was, I think it was JP Morgan. Yeah. So I think it was JP Morgan. Uh, maybe don't quote me on that, but pretty sure JP Morgan. And essentially if you look at Netflix stock since their IPO, it's just, it's just a chart to look at. I mean, it's exponential growth from very little, I don't know what their IPO price was, but it's exponential growth, right? You see that in, in select few stocks over the years, like a Tesla and, you know, probably Microsoft and like some of those, right? But, but if you bought at the IPO and held until now, you at three different occasions throughout that time, your account value would have been down over 70%. <laughs> so meaning if you bought the IPO at, let's say, $10, right? And it goes down to under three, basically. And it does that three different occasions. And you have to just hold through it that whole time saying, oh, I know it's going to get back to 10. I know it's going to get back to 10. And then it gets you know up to 20. And then you're down to six. And then you just, oh, I know it's going to go back up. Or maybe you don't, right? You're probably freaking out a little bit. But if you truly just held from IPO till now, you'd probably be a pretty happy camper. Uh, yeah, you'd be Depending on how much you throw into it, you know. But yeah. And then and then they had a breakdown furthermore of how many how many over 60% downs you would have seen. And I don't remember what that number was, but. It's just huge. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why, you know, you, you have regret if you sell something and it goes way up. And, you know, I have regret of at one point I held a, a little a bit of Tesla. I mean, it wasn't a ton, but it was enough and I sold it. I mean, uh, I did not receive my exponential growth, put it that way. <laughs> and uh, I regret that. And, uh, you know, you learn a lesson from that. And then you go go and you're going to chase a bunch of other stocks that you hope become exponential. And you're like, the number of stocks that actually have exponential growth are minuscule. It's so right. tiny. So right. that's, again, another reason why you should probably own just own index funds and just you know if you're unless you're really going to try to play that game and win it and to win that game is is nearly impossible so um good for you if you've done it um good for you if you had the foresight uh and the good luck to do that uh but yeah lessons learned well we hope you guys enjoyed this uh podcast i know we went a little long this time but you know Mitch hadn't been on a while and we had a lot of things that we we needed to talk about and, and address today so um if you guys have any um you know, suggestions for future podcasts, please let us know. We'll catch you again in another episode of Give Me Some Truth. Walkner Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and is not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific security investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.